Hey, if you got your Bible, I want you to go to John chapter 4. You can also follow along on the Bible app. Go to the live event. Uh, you know, last month, there was a, we, we had a, a special emphasis on prayer, of course, prayer and fasting. And, and I, I would like to say to you, as we're beginning this month, I believe God wants to grow all of us as worshipers. Uh, there's no question in my heart that God wants to grow every person under the sound of my voice as a worshiper. And we're going to begin a journey this month of, of really saying, God, teach me what it is to be a worshiper. Some of you have been in church a long time. By the way, if you have, that's wonderful don't just simply rely on your roots when it comes to worship because worship is rooted in the mystery and current revelation of Jesus. Have you ever had a moment where, where, where you're like, you're worshiping God and the Spirit of God comes and moves on your heart and suddenly your heart is really engaged? Maybe I should say it to you this way. Have any of you ever, uh, maybe this service, the songs are singing about the power of the blood, and you checked Facebook. You, you, your mind was distracted. You thought, oh, oh, wait, it's the beginning of the month. I need to pay the electric bill. And your mind wandered, and yet we're here in this place singing about the King of kings and the Lord of lords and, and the glories of his work, and yet we're, we're like, we say, oh yeah, we were in worship like a half hour. No, no, no. We, truly, we were in worship like 30 seconds. We're in 20 minutes of distraction where our hearts aren't engaged as worshipers, and we're like in two minutes of heartfelt engaged worship. And this is how I know that God wants to grow us in, wor in worship. You know what? God comes for the two minutes. God is so interested in us that he's like, he goes, I will wade through the weak worship to get to those moments. And I want you to know that this month, I believe God more and more is going to capture our hearts so that we learn how to engage with God because that is the heart of the first and great commandment. You say, what is worship? Worship is simply the first and great commandment expressed. That is the definition of worship. It is the first and great commandment expressed. Did you know there's a number one commandment, right? It is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not the first one. If you make the, the second one the first one, the, it, the, the, the whole kingdom gets turned upside down. You never put people number one. You put God number one, and then when you interact with people, it makes them feel like they're number one. 
Glory to God. You should write that down. When you make God number one and you love God more than anything, it makes the people around you feel like you're making them number one, even though truly they're number two. And worship is when God uh, really envelops our heart and, and the pure first command begins to get expressed. Where you love God in every area. Now, I want to take you to a passage where, where Jesus drops some of the greatest theology on worship in all of the Bible. Now, I'm a Bible nerd. I don't know if this excites you, but this really excites me. And what I'm going to share with you over the next few moments, I believe God is going to open your eyes. Every person in here. This has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with history. This has everything with a work that God will do by his spirit to pull us deeper into his heart. Listen, the last hour church will be a worshiping church that hears God, follows God. Let me t- Does anybody know there's some shaking going on on this planet? Does anybody know some things are falling apart? I, I tell you what, if I were any of you, I would connect myself and anchor myself to the one who never falls apart, who never shakes. I would anchor myself to him. Don't anchor yourself to other things. As uh, we're, we're going to see some of this in this story. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, says this. Jesus was traveling back to the Galilee, and I love this. Verse 4 says this. But he needed to go through Samaria. Lord have mercy. Just, just that statement. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. By the way, in in some versions, this is in parentheses because the writers wanted you to know. Uh, These two groups of people are greatly at odds. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans because they had bad theology and they were not pure Jewish people. That's what is going on here. Now, so Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Uh, Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have, you have well said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to, her, said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Wow, she's very perceptive. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you, uh, when you will uh, uh, worship. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I tell you, these are, there's, a, there's a couple of things that, that we can learn from this passage and that all of us need to learn and, uh, to embrace as we, we want to grow as worshipers. And that is this, first things first. You need to hear this today. You won't hear people talk like this in church. But I believe this is an accurate and I say this with fear and trembling. This is an accurate description about the God who desires worship. First, God chose to become weak that we might become worshipers. God chose weakness. What did the scriptures say here? It's beautiful. It says, Jesus being wearied. Reading those words ought to blow your mind when it comes to what you know about God. Where is he? He's at a well waiting on a drink of water. Think about this. The God who created everything, who was outside of all influence, he is the influence. The God who was not subject to thirst. In order to create worshipers, became thirsty. I think sometimes we have forgotten the humility of our God. I mean, imagine imperfection. Before, uh, before time, you know, unfolds on this planet, 
It's God the Father loving the Son, and the Son loving the Father, and the Holy Spirit loving the way the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. It's perfect. There is nothing, there is nothing outside of that perfection, and yet somewhere in the divine conversation, God says, I want to invite someone into this moment. But in order to do that, we're going to create. They're going to fall. And I will have to embrace a weakness so they can become a worshiper. Think about this. The God who is completely self-sufficient and satisfied chose to become weak and thirsty to meet our deepest need. For all of humanity's time, we ha there's been the need for food and the need for water and the need for clothing and the need for shelter. And yet, God knew that there was a deeper need that needed to be met that could only be met if he would become weak. You say, you, are you sure about this? Absolutely. Let me take you to Philippians chapter two. Look at this. I want you to embrace this idea of the lengths God has gone to make us worshipers. You say, why are you doing this? Because indifference is not an attitude we should ever bring in to a worship service. You should never bring indifference. You should never be the person that stands in the hallway and says, I'm a word man. I don't do the song service. We don't do song services either. We do worship services where we suddenly see this God who is interested in us, who loves us so much that he was never subject to weakness. He was completely self-satisfying and yet said, I choose to become weak that they might become worshipers. Notice what it says in Philippians chapter 2. This is what it says of Christ starting in verse 6. Who being in the very nature, who being in very nature God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Get it in your spirit. Jesus is God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. By the way, if you have New King James or King James, it says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What that means, it, it literally in the Greek, here's what it means. He did not think equality with God was something to be grasped and held onto for his own benefit. That's what those words mean in the Greek. And so what did he do? Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by obeying death, becoming obedient to death. A God who was never subject to death 
became obedient to death, even death on the cross, that we might become worshipers. And look at this. Here's, here's the scene of worship. Therefore, God has ex, 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 exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says, he became weak, he died so that he could make us worshipers. Do you see it here? The God who never thirsted was sitting there in Samaria, thirsty, weak and wearied because he was pursuing worshipers. The second thing that you need to understand is that, that, that God gives living waters to thirsty, wandering worshipers. God gives living water. Living water. This God is, he, I, I pray that there is something inside of you that begins to ignite when we say these words about the lengths that he went to to make you a worshiper. I love what he said. To the woman at the well that day, if you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Listen to these words. He said, if you knew, if you knew, when people are indifferent to worshiping God, what is it really that is standing in the way? Here's what it is. It's a revelation of the one who is before you. It's a revelation of the one who is right before you. Not one who is afar off. Not, not you know, and, and sometimes we really think about uh, God in ways that, that we, we just, man, he's just the big guy up in the sky, right? He's way out there. And man, he's, he, he's, just, he's just so far over there and maybe sometimes he gets involved with man and sometimes he doesn't. No, that's not the scene of the gospel, is it? It's, it's this God who so loves us, he becomes a man, becomes weak, so that we could become worshipers. I wonder, I wonder, it causes me to wonder if we're not worshiping, do we really have a revelation of him? If we're not worshiping, because by the way, we're all gonna get throne time, aren't we? If you're born again, guess where you're going? Not to your mansion to watch TV on a big screen. We've got a ridiculous idea of heaven. You're like, oh, I'm going to have ESPN and not have to pay for it. Ridiculous. No. The entertainment of heaven is Jesus on the throne. The, oh, the most fascinating thing in heaven is Jesus on the throne. And God is standing right before 
for a woman who is rejected and lost and she has lost favor in so many ways with so many people and she doesn't recognize who it is who's asking her for a drink. I wonder sometimes if we, and, and, and listen, listen carefully, this is not a message of condemnation. It is a call to worship. Listen, I wonder if sometimes we don't wander in to our services and we are indifferent to the one who is waiting on us when we get here. And we're busy thinking about the grocery list. We gotta go shopping today. We got things to do this week. And we don't think, we don't think to think, who is this one that we're building this place of worship for? Who is this one? And what happens is we'll come to the service and we'll leave and say, I didn't get anything out of that. Here's why. Because if you knew who was in this room, you would start asking for a drink. You would start asking. You would say, I don't care about the person in front of you. I'm going to find myself on my knees, on my face, before this one saying, give me a drink. I have a deep need. I'm wandering and I'm thirsty. This woman comes in the middle of the day when no one else was coming to this well. If we really knew the one that was here, I think, I think so many times there's, there's like just these few moments in scripture where God peels back uh, the distance between God and man and God gives glimpses to men of what is going on in heaven. Isaiah sees it, Ezekiel sees it, Daniel catches glimpses of it, and then there's John exiled on the, the Isle of Patmos, and, and heaven gets peeled back, and the Lord says, come up here, John, I want to show you what's going on in heaven, and in Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, it says this, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. He says, listen, there are these creatures, these angels around the throne. They have eyes on the outside and they have eyes on the inside. And listen, they have never, ever been distracted. That's not because of their makeup. It's because of the greatness of the one who sits on the throne. And it says that, that they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 24 elders fall down before 
before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Let me connect the dots for you. It is a revelation of Jesus that awakens your thirst for living water. Oh, if you and I could stand there for a moment, our days on this earth would look different. Why? There are beings, listen to this, this blows my mind. Beings who have perfectly worshipped God for eternity, and yet he did not become weak for not one of them. He didn't die for one of them. He died for the thirsty, wandering woman who's rejected. By the way, in, in case you're trying to find yourself in the Bible, please, please do what I do. I, I, I more identify with this woman than I do with Paul. I mean, he looks like Superman. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm kind of like her. I'm that woman that Jesus calls a dog. By the way, if you're not Jewish, that's actually how he referred to them. And she wasn't offended and received something. Why? Because she knew the one who was sitting before them. And I want to say this. It is a revelation of Jesus that... that that awakens our thirst for real living water. The truth is, is that we have been thirsty for things that don't satisfy. We've been thirsty for those things. And, and here's, here's the one thing. He said, if you only knew. Suggesting to her, by the way, if you read this whole story, I mean, it's like she went to seminary. She knows religious arguments. She knows division. She knows the difference between the doctrines. You know, she knows the places of worship. She knows it all. And yet she doesn't recognize the one that there was hopes of coming. You see, listen, listen to me carefully, worshipers. God wants to give you a revelation of who he is. So it radically transforms the way you worship. So that when we gather as brothers and sisters, we come in saying, God, release the living water in me. You say, you, you, you say what is that? Well, Jesus said what it is. He said, whoever drinks this water in this well... Will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What is everlasting life? Everlasting life is the byproduct of being born again. You're in the family of God. You are now in relationship with God. He said, if you drink the water I give, the water he gives, listen carefully. It is fellowship with God. That's it. The water he gives, it's not the promise of big houses and all your dreams are going to come true. 
And it's not that at all. He said, the water I give that will spring up into eternal life, that water, it's fellowship with God. That's the water that thirsts. That's that's the one that satisfies the deep longing. It's fellowship with God. And anything that we embrace outside of that, anything we reduce to a theology or a thinking point or a talking point, or, or we, just, we just kind of reduce our relationship with God to something far less than true worship, true fellowship with God, true interaction with him, is far below what he came to die for and what he came to give us. The water of fellowship with God is the only water that satisfies every human thirst. And let me give you this last thought. God desires true worshipers. He desires this. Now remember, he's the God who needs nothing. By the way, he doesn't need your help. He chooses to, get, to let us in on this whole kingdom thing. He chooses to use us. He chooses to partner with us. He doesn't need us. He chooses to partner with us and, and, and bring us in to his kingdom and use us. He is the God who needs nothing, and yet we find out from Jesus himself there is something the Father is looking for. Not, not that we should be looking for. There is something that the Father today is looking for, and it's true worship because the Scriptures say in verse 23 and 24, here it says, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Did you hear those words? For the Father is seeking such. The Father is seeking such. The Father is actively today looking for true worshipers. He is looking for it. He is desiring it. When God set the stage to announce his desire for worship, I love this because this is, this is where he announces it. I desire this. What did he do? He went and found someone. Here's the revelation. Looking for a husband. What? Anybody ever read John 4? And you're like, man, we were tracking with you, Jesus. You're dropping heavy revies. And then you say, go get your husband. What? Why are you changing the subject? Man, we're on a roll here, Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus was in modern church and he's ministering to somebody? Man, his senior pastor will pull him aside and say, Jesus, listen, you, was, you were on it. You were hitting it. Man, you're giving all them revelations. And then you went to her personal life and you could have really derailed this whole situation. Unless it was connected to the revelation that he was giving. 
Listen to me, church. There is a deep connection to you becoming, you and I becoming true worshipers to understanding what this woman longed for all her life and still wasn't finding. Go and get your husband and come here. And in a moment of honesty, I don't know why she was being honest with him, but she did, she was honest and she says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. Matter of fact, you have a husband problem. Because everyone who you have ever married yourself to divorced themselves from you. Everyone. And now you have even perverted what God desires from man and woman, and you're just choosing to live with him. He found a woman looking for a husband to give a revelation about worship. He says, go and get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, right, you've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And then she says that, in that great moment of clarity, I think you're a prophet. <laughs> you see, think about this. This is the moment that all of those words, all of the walking, all of the planning, all of the things that even Jesus needed to do was coming to bear on. Listen, God became weary. God became thirsty. God, in listen, he was giving her revelation and gently guiding the conversation to get it to the topic that was on his heart. And the topic was worship. The topic was worship. When you read this, he became wearied, thirsty, and weak. All to get the thirsty, the rejected, the one looking for a husband on the topic of worship. Why? Because God is far more than a supernatural being you're just simply trying to, pre to please. He's a bridegroom God who wants you to marry him. He's a bridegroom God that wants you to marry him. And listen, listen, people who date God on Sundays are not going to thrive in the last hour. He has got to find some who have married other lovers and they have divorced them again and again and again and they find themselves so thirsty and rejected. They're in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day and it's in that moment God says, I became weak, obedient to death to find you in your broken state so you could know worship is a marriage ceremony worship is a marriage ceremony if you come into worship and go I, I hope they sing my favorite song today you have missed it you have thoroughly missed it 
has nothing to do with it. All of that is just the backdrop from which you recognize the one before you as bridegroom God. He says, you with the marriage problems, you with the sin issues, you who have married yourself to other things in hopes that they would satisfy and ultimately again and again and again and again and again they have left you and abandoned you so much that you don't fit in anywhere. God says, no, no, no. I'm here to marry you. I'm here to marry you. I just want you to know our God never talks divorce. No. He's full of grace and he's full of mercy. Yeah, I know. I would have divorced me a long time ago. I know me. I would have divorced me. But our God is good and his mercies are new every morning. And his, and his grace and his goodness is seen to a thousand generations by those who love him. Listen to me carefully, church. I pray that our worship this month would be reflective of the month of love in this month I wonder if we'll see him for something more than just you know the celestial slot machine alright I gotta find all right, I'm gonna, God ooh, anoint this prayer God God, please, please, please take care of me. I promise you, we, we never diminish God to think of him that way, but sometimes we treat him like that. Like he's just the God that we offer less hoping to get more from. And God says, I want you to abandon that idea. I became weak to marry you. And I want to marry worshipers. This is what he's seeking. This is what he's after. And I love what happens in this woman's life at the very end. Listen to the final verse. It says, she says, I know the anointed one is coming. You know what she said? One day, one day, you know what Jesus said? The hour now is. She said, one day he's coming. One day he'll speak to me. One day he'll teach me. One day. He said, I'm right here. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the bridegroom God. I'm the one who became weak so that you know I want to marry you. I'm after your heart. Listen, church. Listen, I, I pen these words. 
the call is going out to the saved and the unsaved, to the sinner and the sanctified, to the broken and the blessed. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, he's the bridegroom who today sits on the throne, highly exalted, that everything that is named on heaven, on earth, and under the earth will boldly declare that he is Lord. Church, I pray God radically transforms the way we worship Monday through Friday. That there's something about us waking up knowing God made himself weak to enjoy this space between us. To enjoy this covenant relationship. And the call's going out. Will you become a worshiper? You were wounded, you were thirsty, you were abandoned and betrayed, but he says, come. I've come to marry 